0: How many of you are excited about what God's doing, amen? Well, this is really the fourth installment of the Vision series, Uh, but it's the third time that I've talked about it. How many of you enjoyed uh, Bishop Langston last week, preaching and bringing the Word? Was that good? So three or four of you enjoyed it. The rest of you enjoyed it, huh? Was Was it all scriptural or was there anything in there I need to go through? I hadn't heard it yet, but I told him I'd go through it and get my pen and paper out and, and uh, take notes and correct any false doctrine that was spoken. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's good. Habakkuk chapter 2, that's where we're going to begin again. Uh, begin again. Uh, that's been our text, our reference verse for this series. We've been talking about vision. And as we're going to find out, vision is very, very important. Not just in the natural but in the spiritual realm, if you don't have vision in your life from a natural perspective, you don't know where you're going. It's, uh, the, you know, the phrase, the blind leading the blind. There's, there's a, there's a uh, I can think of no more, I guess, disabling uh, uh, disease or something to have that would inflict your body than would be to be blind. How many of you know Jesus is the healer? He, he was the healer, is the healer, and forever shall, will be the healer, amen? But if you don't have vision, if you turned out all the lights in this room, took every light, took every glimpse of light out of here, and you weren't able to see, it'd be hard to maneuver around. It'd be hard to to find your way to the exit if you can't see anything. Well, in life, it's the same way. In life in the spiritual realm, what God has given us, he's given us a vision. And so if we can't see anything, then it's going to be hard for us to navigate through what God's called us to do. And so the first week we talked about what is vision. The second week we talked about how vision comes. I'm not going to take time to go through all that because I want to get to what we're getting into today. But Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, and you remember Habakkuk was a prophet He was was frustrated, he was angry at the way that the children of Israel not only were doing, but were being done. He was just angry and frustrated all around. And so he went to the Lord, and the Lord told him, he said, he began to to, uh, speak to him. And Habakkuk said in chapter 1, he says this, he said, I will climb my watchtower now and wait to see what answer God will give to my complaint. And the Lord said to me, Write down, write my answer on a billboard. That's what the Living Bible translates. I love this. Write my answer on a billboard, large and clear, so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell others. He said, this vision is so important that I want you to write it down, and make it plain, one translation says. Write it down, make it plain, so that all who see it may run with it. And so not just for us as a church, which we're going to get into today, and I'm going to recast the vision for what we're, where we're going and what we're doing, but for individuals, if you don't have a vision written down for your life, if you don't know where you're going, you'll go anywhere. I have a friend of mine, who is, uh, who is the director of Future Now Ministries, which is a ministry that goes into the public school systems, and they do assemblies during the day, and they encourage the students, and they challenge them, and they uplift them, you know, just in encouraging, stay straight, you know, follow your dreams, that kind of thing, because you can't really preach the gospel uh, in the uh, in the school systems. But he'll do things like, He'll say things like a wise man once said that uh, your gift will make room for you. Well, that's straight out of Scripture. But if you don't say it's out of Scripture, it's all right. You can get away with it. And so they'll say those things. And, and then they invite him back for the night service. And that's where they present the gospel. That's where they begin to share the gospel with them, And hundreds of students get saved and born again. And it's just wonderful. But one of the things he says to them, he says, if you don't know where you're going, you'll take any road. If you individually, and we as a church, don't know where we're going, we'll take any road and we'll go anywhere. And that's not what God intended. And so what he said was, he said, I'm going to give you the vision. I want you to write the answer and put it on a billboard. I like that. I like that. Put it on a billboard. Why a billboard? Because all who see it, so that those that see it may run with it. And I like that translation because it says that, You may see it and choose not to run with it. But there are those that are going to see the vision and they're going to go, Ooh, I like that. And they're going to run with it. Make it plain. Put it on the billboard. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, I like the amplified, it says, Where there is no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. The message version says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. The people that I see in my life, and I don't say this with condemnation, I'm saying this as an observation. People with no vision, they're going everywhere. They have no direction. If you have no vision, the Bible says you perish. Without vision, my people, God says, my people will perish. If you don't have a vision for your future, young people, high school, college age, if you don't have a vision for your life, that, and I don't mean, I'm not just talking about a biblical vision. I'm talking about a vision. If you don't have a vision, you'll go anywhere and do anything and your life will not accomplish what God has intended for you to accomplish. I read a statistic recently, recently that said 80% of Christians have absolutely no idea what their gift is. That's astonishing to me. 80% of Christians have absolutely no idea what they're gifted in. None. That tells me that you'll find yourself because the enemy will help you. Can I get an amen on that one? The enemy will help you and lead you to a place where you will be constantly frustrated, constantly depressed, and you'll wonder what in the world am I doing? You're supposed to be roofing and you plumbing, and you can't. You can't even stand plumbing. You can't. I can't stand plumbing. I can't handle that. I can't handle it. I don't like it. I do it if something breaks, but I don't like to do it. I won't set up my business to. I bless God for plumbers because I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, "You just sorry, you, you just got a clog. You just gonna have to do something." I, I couldn't help you. But some of you like to roof, and I'm just being figurative right here. Some of you like to roof. Well, if you're a roofer and you like to roof, right? You like the sun. You like working with your hands. You like the hammer. You like the you like to pick up them shingles. And you're plumbing. You're gonna be miserable. You're just gonna be miserable. Well, I see that. In the line of work that I do now, in the call that I have on my life, I see that more often than not I see Christians and people that are frustrated because they're doing something that they're not gifted to do. And they have no idea what their gift is, and so they have no idea where to go. He said if you don't have a vision, if you don't know these things, or you don't write them down, then you'll perish, you'll, you'll go. You'll, uh, one translation says they're left unrestrained, unrestrained. It's like a, a a wild dog running around with no restraint, no nothing. You're just doing whatever. That's dangerous. Vision gives you somewhere to go. It doesn't. Now listen to me, because <clears throat> this is important. We're not going to talk about how we're going to accomplish the vision today. We're going to talk about that probably next Sunday, but we're going to talk about what the vision is. The what of the vision is where you're going. It tells you what the vision is. That's where we're going. Everybody turn around and look back there behind that wall. Wave at him, Will. Hey, how you doing? He's underneath the thing. Hey, Cornell, how you doing? If I said to you, okay, guys, by the end of the service, that's where we're going. We're going to that booth. You know where we're going. Now, how we get there, you may go this way. You may go straight down. Some of you may decide to go all the way around the whole campus and then come back through the back door and get there. But nonetheless, we know where we're going. That's what vision is. Now, how we get there, we're not going to talk about that today. We'll talk about that next week. But how we get there is a whole different story. But the vision, casting the vision, shows you where you're going. And he said, if you don't have that in your life, you'll go anywhere. That's dangerous. I remember, um, I remember, <clears throat> when I rededicated my life to the Lord, right then and there I received the call to ministry. I didn't have any idea what I was going to be doing. I didn't have any idea how I was going to get there. And I sure enough didn't know how I was going to pay for it. Can I get an amen on that one? I had no idea what I was going how I was going to pay for it. I had no idea, but I knew that God had called me to the ministry. I knew. But see, how many people go through life and they don't know that? I've talked to people who feel like they're called to ministry But no one's ever sat down with them. No one's ever instructed them. No one's ever taught them that in order to be in the ministry, it's a specific call. But if you don't have that call, that's because God's got you somewhere else. He's got you called to do something else. And so my job as a pastor, as as the apostolic leader, is to help find and locate that gift in you and give you the tools and the training necessary to get you on the other end of that to where you're doing what you're called and gifted and born and bred to do. So I remember when I was called, but I had no idea how to get there. But I knew I was called. I knew it. There was a vision that was birthed inside of me. And so I had somewhere to aim. Can I use that for all you hunters and and gun enthusiasts? I had somewhere to aim. I knew where I was aiming at. I didn't know how to get there, but I knew where I was going. Vision is nothing more than that divine communication that the Lord gives you. It's it's an impression. It can be a dream. It can be a word. It can be something that He's given you. And if you write that down, it's so vitally important. So I want to talk to you this morning about what is God's vision for us as the body of Christ. What did Jesus say the vision was? And then I want to talk about what is our specific vision, New Covenant Church. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And while you're there, put your finger there and turn to Mark chapter 16. Matthew 28 and Mark 16. What is... The thing, what is the message that that Jesus Himself has conveyed from the Father's heart for us? That's what we're going to talk about. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says this Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Now, there are two words in the Greek. for There's one word for discipleship, but a lot of times the translators will translate a word and you've got to go a little deeper. So some translations translate this particular word as teach, and the majority of the translations translated discipleship. Well, the word for teach is this. It means uh, the word for teach is methano, which means to simply learn without any attachment to the teacher. It means to learn without any attachment to the teacher who teaches. How many? <laughs> how many of you uh, had that kind of relationship with your teachers in high school? <laughs> you taught, you learned, but you didn't want no relationship with them, right? that's not the word that is correctly translated here in some versions. The majority of the versions will show, if you go look in the Greek. The the next, the second definition, or the, the definition for discipleship is this. It means to learn, not only to learn, but to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. It is really not sufficient to translate this verb as learn, but as making a disciple. So I'm going to ask you this. The last words that someone says to us should probably be one of the most important things that they say to us, right? Jesus said before he left in Matthew, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Make followers of you. Make followers that follow your life and your conduct as you follow Jesus, make disciples. But how many times have we been how many times have we been taught? How many times have we actually done that? Now, discipleship, I want you to understand something. Discipleship is not a, it's not a scary word. Discipleship, as I have come to coin the phrase, is nothing more than a relationship with purpose. It's nothing more than a relationship that's got a destination. It's, it's being purposeful with your relationship with individuals. That's all discipleship is. A father and a mother disciple their children. They teach them, they train them, they love them. But let me tell you something, you cannot have discipleship apart from relationship. I'm going to say that again. You cannot have discipleship apart from relationship. Um, that's, there's nowhere near, that's, we're not talking about teaching, we're talking about discipleship. And so Jesus himself spent the majority of his time with who? Who did Jesus spend the majority of His time with? The disciples. He spent the majority of His time pouring His life into the disciples. He walked with them. He ate with them. He used the bathroom with them. If y'all don't think that's true, it's true. He was with them. He slept with them. They camped out at night and and they they went into people's homes. He was with them constantly. And actually, if you study the Gospels, the last part of Jesus' ministry, the last year of His three-year ministry the majority of the time he spent with the disciples and he steadily pulled away more and more from the crowds and spent more time with the disciples. When he could grow the largest crowds, he chose to spend more time with his disciples because he knew his time was up. Discipleship is nothing more than a relationship with purpose. All right, so in Mark chapter 16, which is the other side of this coin, <clears throat> he says this. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Proclaim. That word preach means proclaim. It doesn't just mean <clears throat> you haphazardly say something. It means you go out into all the world and you proclaim. I like what uh, I like what one uh, uh, foundational faith minister from, from years ago said. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Martin Luther, but it may be, <clears throat> it may be one of them, uh, the older ones. But he said, always be sharing the gospel. Always be preaching the gospel. And when necessary, use words. There's two aspects to Christianity. There's two aspects to the Great Commission. One is living your life in demonstration and proclaiming the gospel in your life and your conduct and when necessary in using words. And the other side of that coin is relational. You understand that? Relational. Relational. if you go to countries overseas, it's a whole lot easier to preach to people that don't know you and they'll follow you and they'll listen to you because they don't know you. But here in the States, here in the United States, it's a little more challenging because we've, we've thought for, for, uh, for generations that preaching the gospel meant standing up and beating people over the head with the gospel. Let me tell you something the word gospel means, you ready for this? The good news. What is the good news? The good news is God is not mad at you. The good news is God favors you. He loves you. The good news is what we read in Psalm 149. He takes pleasure. He he takes pleasure in you. And I'm astonished how we seem to still look at the negative aspect of sin more than we look at the positive aspect of grace and mercy and love. And we we think we're going to beat people into heaven rather than loving them out of hell. We're gonna beat the heaven into them rather than loving the hell out of them. Boy, that a preach right there want, sister. Christ. We we need to love the hell out of people because hell is a real place, heaven is a real place. But we are not gonna win. We're not gonna win by preaching what they already do. That's like preaching to a dog and telling the dog to stop. I get more frustrated at my dog when I tell him to hush than anything else. Hush! Why? So I let myself get so frustrated at my dog when he's doing what a dog's supposed to do. So how many times do we get frustrated at sinners? Man, I can't believe you sin. I can't believe you do that mess. Can you believe that? That's what they do. Sinners are going to sin. Or as Taylor Swift says it, haters are gonna hate. Actually, that's in scripture in Proverbs. But my point is we get frustrated at them because that's what they're called. That's not what we're called to do. It doesn't take a genius to walk up to somebody and go, you're a sinner. Everybody knows that. It takes the heart of God to walk up into somebody's life and to call something out of them that you can't see. I had the opportunity that in the last three in the last two weeks I've had. Some wonderful opportunities for us and as a church and me individually. But I spent a lot of time up at the hospital going back and forth visiting my dad. And one thing I saw was there's a great need for people to understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great need. And my heart hurts because you go in there and you still hear people saying the same thing. Well, you know what, brother? We don't know why the Lord does these things to us, but it's all for His purpose. And I go... Shut up. That's not even scriptural. That is not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is healing and help. You can take somebody off the street that has no biblical knowledge and they'll tell you the devil is bad and the Lord is good. That's simple. But we as Christians, we like to mix it all up and we go, Well, sometimes the Lord in His infinite wisdom and great majesty uses the enemy's tactics for our benefit, that is so contrary to the Word of God. And so what I'm seeing, so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these nurses and I'm listening to people come in and I'm observing and I'm seeing how people are just so, they're just lost. They have no idea. Nobody's preached the gospel, the good news to them because if you preach the good news to them, they, you wouldn't be able to shut the doors of the church because people would flock to our houses and our churches because they crave. The thing that they crave is the thing that we have to offer. And that's the love of Jesus. And so I noticed that there was a lot of that going on. And and then then I got the opportunity to... to, uh, We set up a table at ABAC uh, for... They have local businesses and local churches at ABAC, and they set up tables... And and the kids come through, the, the students come through, and you give them all kind of stuff. And so me and Cornell and Pam and April put together some things, and we got uh, we got color, we got cups that say New Covenant Church on them. We'll put some out there in the back if y'all want to grab some after church. We got cups, the clear cups that say New Covenant Church, and when you put something cold in it, it changes color. It's like, man, this is my kids love them. They cool. And then we made some flyers and we made some things and we we put them all in Then We gave them candy. And it's just, you know, the last minute. Boy, we're going to be ready next year, ain't we, Cornell? We're going to have big screen TVs and give away all kinds. We're just going to love. And what we did was as these students walked by, they wouldn't come to the table. And I'm going... Man, we got free stuff and they ain't coming. And so me and Cornell got around to the thing and we just started passing them out. Hey, here you go. We love you. We're right around the corner. If you need anything, just call it. Didn't try to preach to them. Didn't try to get them born again. We just loved on them. And we, we you know, do, 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 do. I got my radar on. Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? And I would just strike up conversations with kids. And it was amazing to me. I'd go, Were well, you guys from here? No, they're not from here. And I'm doing that for a purpose. Where are you from? Well, I'm from North Georgia, South Georgia. I'm from Florida. I'm, there's some from Alabama. There's some from all over. ABAC's really growing. And so we got a chance to do that and shake this. And one of the common denominators, we're going, oh, good, you guys are here okay. Are you gonna go home on the weekends? Because I'm I'm fishing, you know what I'm saying? I'm giving enough rope, Were well, you gonna go home on the weekends? No, nah, it's too far, too much money, I'm gonna we'll stay here. I said, okay. And so I asked them, I said, is there a ministry on campus? Is there anything you guys can get plugged into? Yeah, there's like one ministry but it meets haphazardly. Listen to me guys. If there's one thing I've noticed in the last two weeks, is that Jesus is not a liar. He's truth. And when he said, look, the harvest is ripe. Listen, I'm telling you from experience, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is we need people to run some combines so we can get this harvest up. I don't know how many thousands of students walked through, walk through that gymnasium. But I'm telling you, I, I didn't find, I found one student, we found one student in our conversation that's shaking hands. I found one student that I could see probably had, had is following the Lord because you could see it emanating out of her life. She volunteers with Ruth's Cottage and she just she was just bubbly with personality. And you could tell, but all the other students, you could tell, they hurt him. And it was like a it was like a, a, a conference for churches around there. And I'm thinking to myself, the problem is not the harvest. We think the problem is the harvest. Well, people need to come to Jesus. No, 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 no. There's thousands of people out there. There's 85% or 90% of Tiff County is unchurched. I don't mean that they go from church to church. I mean unchurched. They don't have a church. The problem is not the harvest. You know what the problem is? We don't have enough help. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Let me say this. Part of what we're called to do is to make disciples as, as a church. That's part of our, uh, a part of our vision. So go ahead and throw the vision statement up there for me, Cornet. Our vision for New Covenant Church is to change, impact, and activate. Change the world through servanthood evangelism, impact lives through relational discipleship, and activate individuals for the work of the ministry. Thursday, that was Thursday. Friday night, I got asked to do a devotional for the Tiff County High School band before the game Friday night. And the band director, who's Kirk Kimbrough, was actually one of my band directors when I was in high school many years ago. And so he, we, we connected, and so we, we got a chance to talk some a little bit. But he turned it over to me, and I began to share with these students, and I began to say, you got to forget what's behind you. Paul said in Philippians, forget those things which are behind you. you got to press towards the mark. And I said, we've been talking about vision at the church. And I said, you've got to have a vision. And I said, this man's got to, I'm telling you, listen to me, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is that we need more help. We need, we need help. And so part of what we're called to do is change, impact, and activate. So what does that mean? Well, change, the word for change is this, to make the form, nature, content, or future course, et cetera, of something or someone different from what it is or from, and what it would be if left alone, to make a radically different, to undergo modification. The the purpose of change in our lives for this church is to make really the nature and the content and the future course for someone different from what it is had we leave them alone. That's our call. Our call is to be servant relational. Listen to me, relational evangelists. How many of you live, uh, how many of you have no contact with people whatsoever during the week? The only contact you have is at church on Sundays. Anybody? Nobody. How many of you have uh, neighbors that are within a five mile radius of your home? Everybody. How many of you have a job and you go to work, right? Or or you're a student, you go to school. Let me tell you something. There are people in your life that need the changing agent that is inside of you we think of evangelism and we get nervous and scared because we think oh goodness brother Langston's going to make me walk up to somebody at walmart and go <laughs> do you know jesus somebody complete stranger and yet we have relationships all around us that people are thirsty for what is it listen i'm telling you it just in the fi- just in the in the 5 minute devotional that i did i had three kids come up to me that weren't that that are not youth of New Covenant Church now. There was many youth there. I'm talking about students that came up to me and said, thank you so much for sharing that word, just from a five-minute devotional. Now what would happen if we all did that, if we rotated out and every one of us did a devotional five minutes, and maybe what you say would impact somebody else differently. Maybe the people in your life and in your sphere of influence, there are people in your sphere of influence that I will never be able to talk to because they have a relationship with you, not me. And you're the inside track. Listen to me. The reason why he said go into all the world and make disciples is because that's how the church grows. It doesn't grow by building big buildings and having a lot of programs. It grows through relationship. And I'm not going to talk about it this week. I'm going to talk about it next week. But I'm going to prove through to you from three passages of Scripture that the way the early church grew in, 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 in membership, the early church of the book of Acts, was through relationship, not through big services. I'm going to prove it to you. Three passages of Scripture where the relationship was used to change. When Peter, I'm going to go ahead and let one out of the bag. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, and prayed for the Gentiles, they had not received, there had not been a Gentile that received the Holy Spirit. And when he prayed for them, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, I believe, when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that was the first time that the Gentiles had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit about 10 years after the day of Pentecost. And do you know who was there? Many friends many close friends and many relatives that, guess what, Cornelius had invited because he knew that Peter was coming to his house. And that's how the early church grew. In Acts, the end of the second chapter, it says, And they grew, the church grew daily because they broke bread from house to house, and they met together in the synagogues, and the Lord added to the church daily, those that were being saved. They didn't, he didn't say that they had synagogue service and breaking bread from house to house every day. He said that's two ideas of what they did. That's two aspects of what they did. The third aspect was relational, and the Lord added to the church daily. How do you add to the church daily? He adds to the church daily by you and I going out and just being the light of the world. We have influence. Every one of you have influence in your life. At some point, and people are watching you. You don't think they're watching you. They're watching you. They're watching us. And you have the greatest opportunity. We have the greatest opportunity that we've ever had in the history of the church. To bring home the bacon. You understand what I'm saying? I mean bring it on to the end zone right now, right now because of the times that we live in, because of relationship. The next move of God is not going to start in the church, the church building. You understand what I'm saying? The next move of God is not going to happen inside these four walls. The next move of God is going to be the people of God doing what he's called us to do and the churches will be flooded because guess what? We need to to impact them. The change is going to happen. Some of it's going to happen in here, but it's going to happen out there when we're doing what God's called us to do in our sphere of influence, then the impact happens in here. See, in years past, people would flock to the church and then get radically born again. But I believe, according to Scripture, that the next move, the greatest move of God that we've ever seen in our lifetime and that's going to usher in King Jesus is going to happen when you're at work. It's going to happen in your kitchen when you're sitting there feeding somebody and you have fed them and you've loved on them and all of a sudden they start squalling crying and you go, what in the world? I mean, was the, was the chicken too hot? I don't know. I mean, did, was it too spicy? And they're going to be like, I want what you got. The next aspect of what we do is impact. God told us clearly Four years ago, change, impact, and activate. Impact lives is this, through relational discipleship. The word impact means forceful contact. It means uh, it means influence. It means to drive or press firmly. It's the effect or impression of one person on another. You remember I went back to, I'm going to go back to discipleship. See there's a difference between learning something and being discipled. Discipleship involves relationship. It involves time. Everybody say time. Patience and love. You can't disciple somebody in 5 minutes. And I'm going to be honest with you it's hard to disciple someone effectively in 5 months. It takes when my experience it takes at least 6 months to a year to even begin to break ground where you can get some rooted stuff inside of them. Anybody, <laughs> uh, that's why you young people, when y'all, when y'all begin your courtship, when you begin to find the one that you think God's called you to marry, that's why you need to date and court them. I don't say date, I, that's a whole nother message for the youth. I don't don't believe in dating, I believe in courting with the intent of marriage. So courtship is dating with the intent of marriage, okay? So what I'm saying is, and all of you are going, what are you talking about? I don't have time to get into it. But what I'm saying is when you start doing that process, you need to make sure that you give yourself enough time to be invested and for them to be invested and to work through some things. At least anybody can fake it for six months, guys. Can we just say it like that? Anybody can fake it for six months. You can't fake it for a year. You just can't. The true colors, the true nature of somebody is going to come out after six. Wouldn't you agree? It's going to come out in six months at least. It's going to come out in, in, in that period of time. Relational disciple, you cannot impact somebody in five months. You can have an impression, you can have influence, you can make an impression, you can plant some seed, but you can't effectively see someone grow in their relationship with the Lord in less than a year. It's just tough. When's the last time that you had someone over to your home Uh, with the intent and the purpose of just loving on them and finding out what's going on in their life. Here's here's another question. When's the last time you had contact with someone you know is unsaved and actually had an encounter and a relationship with them with the purpose of maybe discipling them, leading them to the Lord? It's tough. We live in a society where we want everything done right now. We don't want to put the effort, and we don't want to, we don't want to spend the time, with the, or they don't want to invest the time to spend with you. And he's called us to do that. He could have said a number of things. He could have said, go into all the world and build great churches, and then advertise so people will come. He didn't say that. The largest expansion of the... I shared this, I think it was Wednesday night... The largest expansion that the church has ever experienced was in its first 100 to 150 years of, it, of, its, of its existence. Somewhere around 150 to 200 years after Jesus ascended and after the Holy Spirit came, guess what we begin to do? We begin to build buildings. And the progression of the church plummeted and almost came to a complete stop. Because we, took, we, we got so interested in doing church that we forgot to be the church. We're so busy doing church we forget to be the church. This service on Sundays serves a twofold purpose. It does. It encourages and strengthens and, and, and uh, builds up and trains the body for the work of the ministry. It's what Ephesians said. But it also serves as a... Um, as an open dining room table format for people to come in and sit down and eat with us that may not know who we are or what we're about, especially the lost. And when you think of it that way, you begin to see what God is. saying. He said, go into all the world and preach, proclaim the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. And so when we're making disciples, when we're preaching the gospel, we're doing it still through the vein of relationship. Guys, there are, the, the harvest is not the problem. The harvest is out there. People are hungry. I'm telling you, they're starving for what's inside of us. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, he said uh, I'm turning there, hang on. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says this. He said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul said, Paul said, Timothy, listen to me. Find some men, some faithful men that you can commit these things to. He didn't say find a platform, build a big building, and preach to as many people as you can. No, he said find faithful men and pour your life into them. Jesus, to this day, the ministry that we experience is as a result of one man. Because now he was God, but he also was a man was one man faithfully pouring his life, really, if you want to think about it this way, into 11, not 12. because one of them betrayed him. Faithfully poured his life into 11 men. And you and I are here today as a result of that. And I have a... uh, I don't have the diagram with me. I'll try to find it. Maybe we can bring it next week. But it takes... Uh, it, it takes a scenario, and if we live, let's say we effectively live 50 years or whatever, I think how it's how, how it sets it out. But if you lead one person to Christ every day for 50 years, or you commit to disciple one person every year, but you in turn teach them to disciple someone every year. At the end of 50 years, which person do you think would reach more people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus' discipleship. It's staggering how many people are reached as a result of sowing your life into somebody. So we, a new covenant, we believe in impact. We believe in impacting people through relational discipleship. Now, how we do that, and we'll get into that next week, I'm going to talk to you about some things that not only we have already set up, but we're going to be starting in September and October about some ways that we can begin to get this process even more out there. Is that God never intended for you to stand alone. There are many promises in the New Testament that automatically assume that you are part of a relationship. One of them is James chapter 5, verse 14. He said, if any of you have sick in the church, let him call for the elders. See, you can't claim that verse if you're not a part of a church. I don't mean the church. I mean the body, the local body of Christ. You know, God's mercy and His grace, I understand. You can call for elders. But it doesn't have the same impact. If you're a member of New Covenant Church and you're in the, and and, uh, uh, Dad Nelson, PC Nelson, said that the actual literal meaning of that word is if any of you is sick and beyond the point of helping themselves, let him call for the elders. Let him call for the elders. If any of you is beyond helping himself, let him call for the elders of the church so that they may lay hands and the prayers of the elders, the prayers of a righteous will heal the sick. See, there's many, many verses like that in the New Testament that if we're not part of a fellowship, we don't even qualify for them. And people go around quoting them all the time. Well, just like Philippians 4, then, Well, my God shall supply all my needs. Glory to God. You need to read the whole chapter. Not just that one verse. Because Paul was talking to the Philippian church about the need that he had, and they sent a gift to him, and that gift was a sweet fragrance unto God because he knew that they didn't even have it, but they gave it anyway out of obedience to the Lord. And then he says, and my God shall supply. You got a bunch of stingy people running around here talking about God supply my need. It's true. No, God's not obligated to to fulfill your needs when you're not walking in alignment and in obedience with His Word. Now, I don't want to get into works. That's not what I'm talking about. But even salvation is a free gift. But even that free gift, you still got to receive it. If you don't receive it, you don't get the benefits of it. There are people that have gone to church their entire life that can quote two-thirds of the Bible and don't Know Jesus. And our job, our mandate from from the master, from the father, is to proclaim that gospel and to disciple that. I don't even really, I like being in relation. Our goal, our heart that God has mandated for us is to be in relationship with people. Now listen to me. Relationship goes deep. There was a man that came to Jesus and said, I, I've done all this stuff and I want to follow you. And he said, you lack one thing, just one. Lay it on me, Lord, I'm ready. You lack one thing. Go sell everything you got and give it to the poor. The Lord was testing him. Jesus was finding out where his heart is. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He was testing him. A lot of people are going to do this. But how many of them are going to really follow? And it says that the man hung his head down and turned around and walked away. Why? Because he could not enter into the fullness of the relationship with the master that he wanted because he was still holding on to something. He was still had the God of men. He still had the love of money. He didn't want to let go of that security blanket to embrace. the When you begin to embrace relationship with the Lord or you begin to embrace relationship with each other, On a deeper level, it's going to require you. You ready for this? To die to some things. Jesus said, anybody follow me, let him take up his cross. Ooh, we don't like that one. We don't want to take up our cross because we we live in a society that is very self-centered and self-serving. Listen to me. The greatest thing you and I can do is to enter into what God has called us to do, which is to give our life a ransom for many, just like he gave his life a ransom for many. And in the process, we will gain such an identity within ourselves that will actually astonish you. Amazing what God has in store for us. It's amazing what God has, the gifts that He has in us as individuals, if we would just choose to let that out and embrace what God's wanting us to do. The last one is activate. <clears throat> let me go back to discipleship for a minute. I, I, I want to give you this picture because we, we like preaching the gospel. We don't like the word discipleship. I heard an example about this, and I, it is the best example I've ever heard. But when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, What we do is the equivalent of this. If I tell my daughter Hannah, which I did this weekend, go into your room, therefore, thus saith your father, and clean thee thy room. Go into all your room and make it clean. Okay? This is what we do as Christians. So I tell her, go in there. And so a couple of hours go by and she comes back and she goes, Hey, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go into my room and clean it. I memorized it. And I'm going, okay, that's great. You memorized it. Uh-huh. I memorized it. I got it wrote down on sticky notes all over my, all over my room. Go and clean my room. I got it wrote down. And not only that, but I've called some of my friends, and they're going to come over later, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to do a three-hour study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. And not only that, but I can say, clean your room in Spanish, in French, Italian, Greek, and Hebrew. That's what we've done. The Lord said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so we go to school and we learn what it looks like and how to make disciples, and we never do it. Let me tell you what discipleship is, plain and clear. Discipleship is nothing more than having that relationship and giving some direction along the way and stick with it. That's all it is. Is just sticking with it. If if we we sometimes, if if I find parents that are discipling their children out of obligation, ooh, that's dangerous. If you, if you speak into somebody's life out of obligation rather than joy, there's a difference. See, you can tell, how many of you can tell the people? that have taught you in school, and they do it because they got to do it, because if they don't, they won't get paid, and those who have a passion to teach students. Everybody in this room knows of a teacher like that. I've got them in my life. I can remember, I can remember the teachers, or one of the teachers in particular, that had that impact on my life, Miss Hall. She would teach us, she would help us during lunch, and we loved her because she taught us. And we loved her because if we were running late for class, she'd give us an excuse and let us go into class. But we had relationship. There was rela- She taught us, you can tell the difference. Well, guess what? They can tell the difference whether or not you're trying to disciple them or whether you're just trying to teach them something. Discipleship is just relationship. It's just embracing people that God has placed in your life and asking the Lord, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it with them? How am I supposed to get them from point A to point B? And then you get them to point B and you say, how are we supposed to get them to point C? And it's a process of relationship. And guess what? It takes time. It takes time. But I'm telling you, people are hungry for it. And last but not least, activate individuals for the work of the ministry. The word activate means to set in motion, make active or more active, to organize, to create, and to motivate, to propel. The problem or the, the challenge that I've seen in pastors is that pastors want to grow a big church and then they don't want to let nobody go. They don't want to let nobody go. They want to keep everybody scattered, you know, keep everybody together, don't everybody run off. But the true heart of a shepherd is to grow and build the flock and to send them out to start to have other flocks. That's the heart of of really... The New Testament apostolic church is to have that kind of heart. And I'm telling you, it's going that direction. It's growing that way. So, our heart, our vision is to grow the church and to then send out a church. We want to have another church and another campus and another. We want to grow because the, the body, the people, the world is influenced by people. And rather than having everybody come to one location, we want to begin to send out, we want to activate. Some of you, and I say this as your pastor, I love you, but some of you have been in church for 20 years. Some of you have been in church for 30 years. And your idea of activation is coming to church on Sunday mornings and paying your tithes. And that's not the church. That's funding an organization. It's not building the kingdom. Now don't get me wrong, we need uh, resources. I don't even like calling it money because money is nothing more than a resource. There's no value to that paper or to that silver other than what society deems it valued at. It's a resource. Horse trading is just as effective as money. It's a resource. But if you don't give your resource that God has planted inside of you, it hurts the body. So I, we need resources, but the resources we need is the resource inside of you. God has given every one of us, every one of you, a call, a gift. And our, our heart, our prayer is to reach in there and to pull that gift out, to show you that gift and to give you the tools and the platform, not only to be trained and to be taught and to be equipped, but then give you the platform to activate you and send you out and let you, and then you come back in and you get some more training. Then we send you back out and we launch you back out again. That's the heart. Not just for Sundays, but for Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. To change, to impact, and to activate. And last but not least, I'm going to wrap this up and then i got some closing thoughts. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there. I want you to read this with your eyes. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, he says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the, in the, in the cunning craftiness and deceitfulness of plotting but speaking the truth and love may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supply. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes what? Growth. What causes growth in the body of Christ? What causes growth in our church? What causes growth in churches all over the world? It's when the body comes together and begins to bring their supply and their gift. Let me say it to you this way. Our desire and our goal, our mission is not to make you more comfortable in this environment. It's not just to bring everybody in here and have a wonderful service and then that's it. Our heart and our mission is to bring people, it's to bring the body together and have a pep rally. Y'all remember pep rallies in school? Have a pep rally, glory to God, We're Miss Geneva's running around with her tom-toms and we got the band up there and everybody's going crazy and wild and we're just excited because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday is the ball game. And so we come to church on Sunday and we get together and we worship the Lord and we get primed up and ready to go and you hear a word from the Lord and then we launch out on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Then we come back Wednesday for, 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 uh, for our meeting and for a training, for a little practice and a little rehearsal and then you get down to the nitty gritty. I'm giving you a preview of next week. And so we get down to the nitty gritty. That's what these connect groups do. Listen to me. Life change doesn't just happen on Sundays. It actually happens in smaller, intimate, more relational groups. That's what happens. And so our heart is to bring and to train and to set up things and mechanisms and ways for the body of Christ and sinners to come in and not only get saved, but to go through a progression of growth to where at the end of that thing they know what they're gifted to do, and then we begin to help them do it. That's our heart, is to help you help the world. Stand with me. I want to I just say a few things in closing while we're standing. God is passionate. God is passionate about discipleship. God is passionate about winning the lost to such a degree that He gave His most prized Possession, his most valued commodity, his only son, so that those who don't know could know. He gave his most precious son discipleship and the lost is his passion. He demonstrated it in his life and he demonstrated it in his death and then he demonstrated it in his resurrection. His heart is the lost. His heart is to see not only you come to Jesus and, oh boy, I'm glad we got that. I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. No, that's just the beginning, glory to God. Now we begin to get you on a process and on a road to growth. You begin to discover things about the kingdom. You begin to discover things about God. You begin to discover things about yourself. And then at the end, when 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 you've gone through some of that process, you're going out. church shouldn't just be an obligation the church has gotten to such a degree where we're, we just think we got to do something and really church is about just being the church God has so much more intended for you and for I than to just come on Sundays and come on Wednesdays it's a lifestyle change that God wants to use us to impact the world If you're not, how can I say this, Lord? I remember when I rededicated my life, and I told those students in the band that day, Friday afternoon, I told them, I said, don't look back. I remember the day that the Lord dropped that thing in my heart and I made a decision I would never look back And by God's grace and by people speaking into my life and loving on me and discipling me and loving me and helping me and helping us when we got married and pray for us and be a part of our lives and disciple us, by God's grace, I can say that I have never looked back. I can say that she has never looked back. Oh, we passed up many marvelous opportunities Passed up many marvelous opportunities to get depressed and to feel bad and it just ain't worth it. But I can say with confidence that I've never lost my passion for God. He desires that for all. And I'm telling you, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I if it were not for people loving me, that's what we want to provide and that's what we're going to provide for you and for all those that come that God's called us is to provide that gospel, to provide that platform so that we can go out and to share that with everybody because the world craves it. See, you do, you and I do what we're passionate about. We do what we're passionate about. Whether it be cars or fishing or hunting, or shopping, or school, or learning, or instrumental, whatever it is, we do what we're passionate about. We, as the church, have to get back to the heart of God. I remember one of my professors in seminary is a missionary to Peru, Jim Andrews. And I remember every, just about every session we had with him, every semester, he would stand up in that beginning of the, of the semester. He would do this. He'd say missions is the heartbeat of God. Reaching people is the heartbeat of God. The power in the church, the Holy Spirit in the church, the music of the church, the lights of the church, the seats, the air conditioner, the heat, all of it is to invoke passion for people. It's for the lost. It's for people to come in. It's the heartbeat of God. And I'm telling you, the last two weeks, I've just asked the Lord to help me with my vision. But I see it. People are hurting. And we are more concerned with things that have no eternal consequence Then we do the things that have lasting consequences. And my dad sat there in that hospital and he began to cry and begin to weep because he began to realize that there's more important things in life than what we think. There are relationships in your life. People are going home and they're crying and they're they're craving what you have, and you and I don't notice it because we're preoccupied. Last thing. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three stories. He told the story about the lost coin. Or he told the story about the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost coin. And then He tells the story of the prodigal son. The story of the lost sheep was about one sheep that left the 99 and was wandering about. And Jesus said, I will leave the 99. Who would not leave the 99 to go after the one? And that one sheep, when you begin to look and you begin to study, you begin to see that that sheep was had its head down and was focused on eating and grazing and doing and just being. Oh, where do I go? Bah, where do I go? Bah, there's food. Bah, and eat and eat and eat. And then all of a sudden, it looks up and is lost because we are preoccupied with making. Uh, uh, providing a living for our family. We're preoccupied with staying well. We're preoccupied with all things. And then we're not evil. Those people are not evil, but they're lost because they're searching and they're looking, but they don't know what they're looking for. The second story was about the lost coin. And he said, Hey, which of you, there was a woman that had 10 coins and she lost one and she searched the whole house to look for that lost coin. The coin wasn't lost on purpose. It wasn't its fault that it was lost, but it was mismanaged By its creator. It's mismanaged by its owner. There are people out there who have been abused, who have been left, who have been divorced, who have been lost, and it's not their fault. Their parents, their grandparents, their husbands, their wives, they sent them off in a direction and they're lost because they're hurting. It's not their fault. They're not evil. And the last story was about the prodigal son. This is probably the one that I think hits home for most of us more than anything. But the story of the prodigal son was he comes to his father and he said, Give me all that can I have my inheritance, which was way out of character for that time. And his father graciously gave him his inheritance and he left and he squandered it all. But the Bible says that there came a point where he came to himself. We as the church identify with that story more than you. you know why? Because there's also another brother in that story. And the older brother got mad when the father set up a celebration for his son coming back. And he said, you never fixed me any fatted calf. You never throw a celebration. But if you go read that story, you'll find out that the, pro- the, the, the father divided the inheritance among them at the same time. And Jewish law, Jewish tradition was the oldest son got two-thirds and the youngest got one-third. So he had twice as much of his younger son. And that's why when he says, you could have had a party anytime you wanted to. So we as the church, we like the lost sheep. We love to preach that sermon. We like the lost coin because it wasn't their fault. But when it comes to someone who got lured away by the deceitfulness of riches and lured away by the lust of the flesh, we want to turn into the judgment squad. And we want to condemn them for living their life like that. When Jesus said in John's gospel, He said the Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And what I believe The the moral of those three stories was this. Jesus said it doesn't matter. All three of them are lost. All three of them are lost. Whether you are too consumed with everything in your life and you're lost as a goose in a snowstorm and you have no idea how to come back or somebody mismanaged you and was not, did not care for you, did not honor you, did not help you, you're lost. Or because you decided that you got lured away and you made some decisions. Either way, they're lost. And Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we ask you today, we want, the heart of God. Father, burn your heart inside of us that we have such a desire to see people come to the knowledge and the light and the revelation of the gospel that we will choose to get out of our comfort zone and step out of the aisle and walk up to that person in Publix and say, I don't know why, but I just want you to know that God loves you and I love you. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Father, thank you for divine appointments that you have placed people inside of our life and in our sphere of influence that you desire for us to share with them. We thank you for it. Now with every head bowed. And every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but I do want to pray with you. If you are one of those three, maybe you've never been born again. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And making Jesus the Lord of your life is more than just saying, I want my ticket into heaven. It's saying, Father, I'm tired of trying to live my life and find food and go around and looking for everything. Will you help me and be my shepherd? That's all it means. Lord, I give my life to you and I'll follow you wherever you go. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Or maybe you're the second person. Maybe you're the one who uh, has been mismanaged or you've been hurt or you've been abused or you've been neglected. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. And finally, maybe you're the person who has ran away. You are the prodigal son. You have turned away from the Lord and you, you want to come back. If you would, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you just to, just this morning. Anybody? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that one. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, now look at me. I want everybody to look at me. We're going to pray it all together. We're going to all pray it together. So I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to just lift your arms up to the Lord. This is nothing more than a sign of surrender. Lord, I surrender my life. Just lift your hands up to the Lord, everybody, and just say, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. We are to live a surrendered life. Just because you get born again 20 years ago, that don't mean you don't wake up this morning, every morning, and say, Lord, here I am again. Here's my life. Take it from me. Lead me, guide me, show me which way to go. I give my life to you, and I confess that you are Lord of my life. Say that with me. Say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I believe in you. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Lord, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now listen, if that was you and you raised your hand and you didn't raise your hand, I'm not wanting to embarrass you. All I want you to do is there's a card right in front of you, in front of your seat. It's a connection card. If you'll just fill that out, and there's a little white box right back here on the back. If you'll fill it out and drop it in, and we want to send you a gift and just bless you. Amen? Amen, amen, amen.